if I could just have a little just a little traveling music right up at the work on the altar and and uh, now I don't even know how to speak oh, the commandments <laughs> you know the second part of that gospel reading is kind of different than the first but on, on, one, on the other hand, maybe it's not. It kind of establishes who Jesus is. But it's kind of the same paradox that we wrestle, wrestle through when we think of the Trinity, you know, this and that. How can David be this? And uh, I don't know. But the commandments. You know, the, 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 the commandments as a, as a body uh, are, are great. And, and at some point in time uh, in the history uh, of Judaism, they decided there were 613 commandments, you know, the laws of Moses or whatever, and they, they extracted from uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and uh, other places these 613 laws that if you obeyed them, uh, you'd be okay with God. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, there's the Big Ten, right? That I have no issue with the Big Ten. The Big 12 I have some issues with, but that's a whole different thing. So, uh, you know, but you can go on, you can Google the 613 laws and read down through it. It's, you should do that sometime. It's remarkable. <laughs> remarkable. But Jesus, you know, when asked, you know, they were trying to trap him and get him to say something uh, they, they wanted him to say. And uh, uh, so they asked him, what's the greatest law, you know? And he says that very, very familiar passage Love the God, Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, it says in one place. All that comes from the Old Testament. But he says that's the, that's the greatest. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Also comes from the Old Testament. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Nothing else matters, he says. All The, the remaining 600 and... 10, or is it 11, 611 laws are, are all subject to that, to love. It's all, you, it's all we really need to know. 
That's what he's telling the Sadducees and the Pharisees. That's all you need to know. You know, love is a, a word with all kinds of connotations and baggage, some of it. Uh, you know, there's the erotic love that we've, we, we've, we've actually, I preach about that in, in uh, weddings that I, I might be doing about the, the erotica of, of the moment. That fire that burns hot in, in your hearts today, I will tell the bride and groom. That, that love will, over time, or that expression of love over time would fade as time goes by. It does. Marriages often fail then. And then there's philios, brotherly love. Philadelphia, that's where my granddaughter is. Uh, city of brotherly love. It's... Uh, it's a special kind of love. I think it's like a love that a brother and sister have. We're a brother and a brother. But I think brother-sister is a good example of that kind of love. Leaving aside the, uh, the other kind of love. But the really big thing is a love, the Greek word is agape, a love like God's love for all of creation. A love that is um, unbounded, unconditional, boundless love. This is what we might strive for. For everyone, boundless, no boundaries. Who is our neighbor anyway? Well, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, ends with that, that challenge. Who is our neighbor? And we kind of know what the answer to that is. Our neighbor is everybody, right? But who is not our neighbor? Who is not our neighbor? I think there might be someone or two, or three, or a hundred million, I don't know. Well, I just want to read you a little a piece from the uh, uh, Sufi uh, poet Rumi. We hear a lot of things read from Rumi, and here's just a short one. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field. I will meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Love would be in that field, wouldn't it? You know, loving God is, is uh, sometimes difficult. Because we have this idea that uh, God has a plan. 
everything's all planned out. There's a whole Christian denomination around that idea. But I, you know, I don't, I can't quite get my, wrap my head around that. That God has a plan and everything that happens is according to God's plan. Because sometimes I'm very happy about that. I had three, I got a little over three inches of rain yesterday or day before, whatever it was, and it almost filled up my rainwater tank. And I was very happy with God for that rain. If that was his plan. But then there's tragedy and sickness and uh, unwanted death and all kinds of things that we would then have to say that was God's plan too. And I'm having a hard time with that. I'm having a hard time with that. So I don't know if, if I can love that God like that. I'm going to have to let go of that God's plan thing. I don't know. I'm not saying anyone should let go of it. That's the way you've ordered your understanding, but I don't. So who is not your neighbor? I think what we need to do is just try to love as many as we can. As many as we can. And it's, it's, it's an interesting practice. Because at times we, we feel some feelings towards some one person or some group of people, uh, and we just having a really hard time loving them. But we can, if we can see them as human beings just like you and me, and nothing more. And loving ourselves is a very hard thing, for me anyway, to love this person we have become. It's a good practice. You know, my friends, we, we're living in dark times right now. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I... Like some of you, I've been around the, the sun many times. And I don't recall any times in my lifetime where it's been quite so unsettling in our world, in our nation, in our cities, in our churches. It's a difficult time. There's... There's hatred. There's division. There's war. Violence. You know. Why do I want to stand up here and talk about that? I mean, it's, but it's what's happening and we need to kind of wrap our heads around it. Wrap our love around it. Wrap our love around those people there that are at war. Not just some of the people, all of the people that are at war. 
Because I promise you one thing, the vast majority of the people that are at war do not want to be at war. Some of you have been at war. And tell me if you want to do it again. Hatred and division and war and violence is all, all around us. So our job is to surround it with love somehow, somehow, as we contemplate those things. So I'm going to go out on a big limb here. And I want to read you a little story from my favorite little book, Tales of a Magic Monastery. You've heard me speak of it before. Theophane the monk is or was, I don't know if Theophane's still alive or not. He was a Cistercian monk residing at St. Benedict's Monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. He's a real person. He has this beautiful little book called Tales of a Magic Monastery. It has these lovely little stories in it that are very thought-provoking. So let me provoke your thought with this story. The title is The Gun. I saw a monk working alone in the vegetable garden. This is all in first person. I saw a monk working alone in the vegetable garden. I squatted down beside him and said, Brother, what is your dream? It didn't seem to bother him that I should ask him so personal a question, not even having the courtesy to introduce myself. He just looked straight at me. What a beautiful face he had and answered, I would like to become a monk. But brother, you are a monk, aren't you? I've been here for 25 years, but I still carry a gun. He drew a revolver from his holster under his robe. It looks so strange, a monk carrying a gun. And they won't, uh, are you saying they won't uh, let you become a monk until you give up your gun? No, it's not that. Most of them don't even know I have it. But I know. Well, then why don't you give it up? I guess I've had it so long. I've been hurt a lot. I've hurt a lot others. I don't think I would be comfortable without this gun. But you seem pretty uncomfortable with it. Yes, pretty uncomfortable. But I have my dream. Why don't you give me the gun, I whispered. I was beginning to tremble. He did. He gave it to me. His tears ran down to the ground. He embraced me. That was 10 years ago. I still have that gun. Carry it with me all the time. I wouldn't feel comfortable without it.
Julie Woody, whom I think most all of you know. I don't know, is Judy here today? I didn't, Julie, I didn't see her. She sent me this uh, a text with this prayer. The text had a picture uh, attached to it. You know how all that works. So the picture was of three young people uh, standing side by side, kind of with arms around each other, sort of a posed picture. But there was a Christian person, obviously dressed and looking like a Christian, and uh, a Muslim person, and a Jewish person, all standing together. And here's the prayer that went with that picture, a prayer written by Rabbi Sheila Weinberg of the Jewish community of Amherst. Just close your eyes a minute. Let us pray. Two peoples, one land, three fates, one root, one earth, one mother, one sky, one beginning, one future, one destiny, one broken heart, one God, we pray to you. Grant us a vision of unity that we may see the many in the one and the one in the many. May you, life of all the world, source of all amazing differences, help us to see clearly. Guide us gently and firmly toward each other, towards peace. Amen. And just as a postscript, as, as we read the Old Testament today, it was the story of, of God telling Moses that he had given all of that to the, to, the, to the ancestors of Abraham. All three of those children were ancestors of Abraham at war.